Let's pray together. Now, Father God, it is indescribable the love that you would have for us. That with your holy gaze and your omnipotent eye that you, you see the depths of who we are. You see the stuff that we so try to hide. You see the junk that we want no one else to see. And Father God, you even see, you see the darkness that we can't see. And yet, you love us the same. Now, Father God, only you could love that way. And it's a love that's changed us from the inside out. And Father, we ask that because of that love and because of your reality, that you would be pleased to now come and again do that which only you could do and, and speak through a broken sinner who desperately needs to hear the message he's about to preach. The Father, you'd open up our ears to hear from you, the living God. And God, you'd open up our minds to understand. And, and Father, open up our hearts to embrace. And, and God, empower our feet to walk in light of your truth. Father, the things that are said that are merely my opinion or that are wrong, may they quickly fall away and be forgotten. But Father, the things that are said that are true, would you use those things to shape and mold us to be more like your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you and you alone receive glory and we receive great joy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter 1. We've made our way in the last several weeks to verse 8 and 9. Today we stop at verse 8 and 9 as we are standing firm in the faith that God has given us with joy that is inexpressible. And I tell you, if you've been touched by the love of God, you know what that's about. You know that there's a joy that God gives you that words just can't articulate. And yet Peter is going to be addressing today a reality for his readers that's a reality for us. You see, they had never seen Jesus. They'd never seen Him with their physical eyes. They'd never touched this Messiah. And so they were people who, like us, had heard the story. They were people like us that had to be told from another or had read God's Word of the reality of a God who lives and a Son who rescues and a Spirit that indwells. And it's being, God, Peter is going to encourage us in his word to love a God that we can't see. You know, we live in a skeptical world. We live in a world that's basically show me. Show me a reality before I believe it. A world that believes that we're fools for what we believe in. A world that will look at us gathered here on a rainy Sunday and say, are you kidding me? You're loving a God you can't see? You're placing your faith and trust and belief in one that you can't touch. And Peter knew that reality. Peter knew that challenge. And so he writes to the people and to us, encouraging us. Because like that generation, they too had not seen Jesus. But let me tell you, we see him through the preaching of his word. We see him through faith. Let's look at God's holy and errant word together today in verses 8 and 9. Peter writes, And though you have not seen Him, seen Jesus, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, 
Obtaining is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father God, would you clearly show us the face of Jesus, your Son, our Savior today. Strengthen our faith. And God, if there's anyone here today who is yet to come to faith, may today be the day where they see the reality of Jesus, the unseen God, but the true and living God. We pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. The first thing that Peter is going to exhort us to do is that we got to be believing, believing in God's Son, placing our faith and trust in Him, but believing through the eyes of faith. Because seeing is not believing for the Christian. It has never been true for the followers of Christ that seeing is believing. Because really, when Jesus walked this earth, when He uh, walked and did His miracles and He spoke and He taught... The majority of people who saw him, the majority of people who touched him, the majority of people who rubbed elbows with him, the majority of people who heard his sermons, who witnessed his miracles, the majority of them didn't believe. So that we know that seeing is not believing. As a matter of fact, we know that for most who saw them, it didn't lead to worship. It didn't lead to surrendering their life. Most who saw Jesus mocked him. Most who saw Jesus threw insults his way. Even at that moment of Calvary where the Son of God, the Son of Man, was nailed bleeding for sinners like us. The seeing world was not a believing world for the most part. And they hurled insults. And they mocked him even at his point of death. You see, something else is required than just seeing And in Jesus' time, as He walked this earth, the people, especially the religious people, they kept on asking for a miracle. Because Jesus said some outrageous stuff. They heard Jesus. And you know, when we read through Scripture, and we're reading a story that Jesus is telling, and oftentimes at the end of the story, we find mostly the religious people picking up rocks to stone them. Because they were getting the message to a degree. They were hearing what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying things like this. I am the great I am. I am the Messiah. I am the anointed one. I am God's only son. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am God Almighty. And they heard it and they said, that's blasphemy. He's claiming to be God. And so they picked up rocks to stone him and kill him. But those who were curious enough said, can you work a little miracle? I mean, just something little that you can do, just so we can believe. I mean, what you say is pretty powerful and pretty radical. And you really are different. But can you, can you just work something up? I love the writer uh, Luke and his gospel. He tells us a story in Luke chapter 16. It's not an Ehler gospel. It's a story of uh, a rich man, a, a rich man who doesn't have a name, and, and a poor man who does have a name named Lazarus. And this poor man is outside the gate of the rich man. The rich man, listen, he lives for himself. He he doesn't even care about the poor. He doesn't even look at the poor. He's living for his own greed and his own own well-being. And he has no love of God in his heart. But Lazarus is different. He, He loves God and he has a faith in God. And although he loves God and has a faith in God, sometimes we're still poor. And there was Lazarus covered in sores that the dogs would lick. And here is the rich man. They both, they both die. And, and, and Lazarus goes to heaven and he sees their father Abraham. And he's seated in faith with father Abraham and, and with the triune God. And, and the rich man, well, he, he goes to hell. He never surrendered his life to Christ. And, and the story tells us, Luke tells us, there's this great chasm between the two of them. And here is this rich man. And he's such in torment. 
that he is asked, he, say, he calls out to Father Abraham and said, Hey, Father Abraham, can you send that boy Lazarus who I've been bossing around my whole life and I think I can still boss him around now? Can you send Lazarus down so he can dip his finger in cool water and just touch it on my tongue? And just a side note, what's the agony of separation from God? That it's so great that your one plea is just a drop of cool water. Lord responds, say, listen, there's a chasm you cannot cross and you're not going to be able to get out. And no, you're there. And so he says, listen, I got five brothers and they got to hear the story. They got to know the truth and the truth has got to set them free. They can't come join me here. So can, can you send someone to go tell them? And then Abraham says, listen, here's what they have. They got, they got Moses and the prophets. And you know what he's saying? He's saying this, they got the Bible. They got God's word right there. And, and he says that they won't believe. Can you send Lazarus? Can you send somebody from the dead? And then they believe. And at the end of 16, it's absolutely amazing. Abraham responds this way in verse 31. But he said to them, listen, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone raises from the dead. Well, who in the world will believe you see, they didn't seeing wasn't believing. Miracles wasn't believing. Who in the world would believe? It's a question the disciples ask when this rich young ruler came and he threw himself at Jesus' feet. And he says, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus so craftily was getting at his heart, realizing that his whole life, his whole worth was in stuff. And he wasn't seeing Jesus as Messiah. And he walked away and he didn't get it. And the disciples were saying, my goodness, here's a man who threw himself at Jesus' feet. He's walking away without eternal life. How in the world are you saved? Who can be saved, they were asking. And Jesus says, listen, it's impossible. It's impossible to be saved for man. But with God, all things are possible. See, seeing is not believing. Listen, we see We see the truth of who Jesus is, Christian. We see the truth of who Jesus is because God has given us sight. Seeing begins with Him. Both physical and spiritual sight is a gift from God. You know, I was pondering about the gift of of physical sight that God has given us. Isn't it an amazing thing? Isn't it an amazing thing that we are able to see and, and see so well that we're able to distinguish what maybe seem uh, uh, small differences. We're able to see so well that if I threw a ball right now, Mike Resicar could catch it. We're able to see, and it's an amazing gift that God has given us. And this gift, this physical gift uh, that God has given us of sight, do we have anything to take credit for that? Is there anything that we've done that can say we can see? No, it's all a gift from God. And listen, for the most part, our physical ability to see is a universal gift that God gives to everyone. Yes, we live in a fallen world. And yes, there are those who are blind, even born blind. For the, for the most part, physical sight is given to all of God's creatures. But spiritual sight is given to only those that, Paul, or that Peter would say in, in verse 1 are the chosen. Only those in verse 1 that God has chosen to give spiritual sight to. All those that are His. He will always give this gift of sight. See, seeing isn't believing. We believe and we see because He has given us the ability to see. It begins with Luke. Luke says this. Luke uh, is dealing with the disciples. He just, Jesus sent out the multitude. He sent out 72. 
And he gave him power to cure diseases. And he gave him power to, to cast out demons. And they came back and they were fired up. I mean, they, it was mission successful. And they were all pumped up that incredible things were happening in Jesus' name. They rushed back and said, Jesus, you won't believe what happened. We were healing the sick. We were casting out demons. It was unbelievable. And, and Jesus sits back and says, you know, I saw Satan fall from the sky. And it's unbelievable what you did. But let me tell you something. Don't rejoice in that. What you really want to get excited about What really is all matters is this, is that your name is written in the book of life. That you have spiritual insight to see me as the Messiah. God has given you the gift to see me as who I am and who I've declared to be God's only son. Rejoice in your spiritual sight because your spiritual sight has given you and written your name in the book of life. And Luke would say this. He would write this is what Jesus said. In Luke 10, 22, all things have been handed over to me uh, uh, by my Father. And no one knows the Son, Jesus says, except the Father. And uh, who the Father is except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Hmm. God says this in His Word. He says, listen, there's, there's a spiritual sight that only comes by the grace of God. And it only comes to those whom God reveals to others. We only see because God gives us the ability to see. John says it this way. John in 6, in 6 uh, 44 says this. Jesus says, no one can come to me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one will come to me unless God enables them to be able to see. No one will come to me unless the Father draws them. God has got to give us the ability to see. God has got to give us the ability to come. God must enable us. God must reveal to us. And then then there's Peter, the one who wrote this book at the turning point of the Gospels in Matthew chapter 16. It was a time where Jesus gathered his disciples and and, and he asked them a question, listen, the, the question of eternal significance, a question that you will be asked one day, who do you say I am? And he asked it this way, who do they say that I am? Jesus is asking his disciples, and they start saying, well, you know, those who saw you, they were seeing world, they, they would say this, well, some say that you're Elijah, and, and some say John the Baptist, and some say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So there's great confusion reigning. And he he drew near to them. He says, well, how about you, my disciples? Who do you say I am? And Peter hit it out of the park. I mean, Peter just nails it. He, he, He leans in. He says, you are the Christ. And when he said that, he's saying this. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You are the son of the living God. Wow, that was it. That was it. God had given these eyes to see and he was it. And he just nailed it out of the park. And because of those words, he has eternal life. Because of those words, he's forever with the Father and Son and the Spirit. And Jesus put his arm around and says, Peter, good job. You know, they may think you're a dumb fisherman, but boy, are you smart, Peter. Because you got it. You solved the Jesus puzzle, Peter. And oh, how blessed you are for solving the Jesus puzzle. You know what he says? He doesn't say that at all. He says this. He said, Simon Peter, he, he declared that you are the Christ. And he said, Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Here's what, here's what Jesus said to him. You know what, Peter? Flesh and blood. Man, man didn't tell you this, Peter. I mean, this is a mystery that you didn't figure out on your own, Peter. 
This isn't a mystery that you figured out because a sermon you heard, Peter. This is not something that you or the man could ever figure out. You get it, Peter. You understand who I am, Peter, because God the Father has revealed it to you. And only because of His grace are you able to say those words. God gave you that knowledge, Peter. You see, when we get this, Orangewood, when we get this, when we realize that we are naturally born spiritually blind, and we get that the only way that we have spiritual sight, the only way we're able to stand up here and declare that Jesus is Lord is because God has given us that gift. And we realize that, oh, how we sing Amazing Grace. Oh, how we sing, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. You know, sometimes it's hard to hear that it's all about God, that God was the one who gave us the faith. I mean, sometimes we want to take a little credit, all right? I mean, okay, maybe God came a little way, but we, we figured it out. I mean, we want to give ourselves some credit in this deal. I mean, really, is it all about God? Then listen, if it's not all about God, if we put ourselves in the equation, listen, if we say that we had enough spiritual sight to see Jesus, we rob God of glory. God is the one, and God alone, by His grace, that has given us the ability to see spiritually. If you are here today and you are able to declare Jesus is Lord, it's a gift of God that you are able to declare that. And to say that anything different is robbing Him of His glory. No one sees Jesus unless the Father reveals it. No one comes to Jesus unless the Spirit draws them, the Father draws them. No one is able to declare you are the Lord unless God has blessed them with that spiritual sight. You know, as Thomas, and I love the reality, even the disciples, I mean, when Jesus appeared and there he was, I mean, there was a resurrected Savior. I mean, it went really, really bad. I mean, the worst day they had ever imagined, their Savior that they had followed around and surrendered their whole life to was nailed to the cross and they had hope beyond hope that maybe he would come to life. And here, their, their, their Savior now lived. And the, the camp was completely changed. Now there's, there's this jubilation, there's... There's just so much joy. Jesus is alive. I saw him. I saw him. Thomas didn't. Thomas wouldn't take the word of his brothers. <laughs> I'm not going to believe it till I see it. And there Jesus graciously appears and he says, Thomas, grab your hand. And the, the Greek here is very emphatic. Grab your hand and thrust it into my side. Stick it into my fingers. Here I am. And Thomas sees. He says, my Lord and my God. Jesus goes on and say, blessed, blessed Thomas are those at Orangewood. Blessed Thomas are those who don't see and yet believe. Listen, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you are blessed because God has given you an incredible gift and it's spiritual sight that you are able to say, Jesus is Lord. Not only to give us believing through the eyes of faith, we've got to be seen through the eyes of love. It is said that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And how can we love that which we have not seen? If beauty is in the eye of the beholder and we can't behold Him, how can we really love Him? How can we really see Him for who He is and fall in love with Him? But listen, the mystery of the question really isn't, okay, we haven't seen Him and beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Track with me here. God perfectly sees us. We have a God who sees and perfectly sees us. And He still loves us. 
That is the mystery beyond mysteries. That a holy God whose gaze sees all things still will love us. And He not only loves us, He loves us when we were unlovable. First of all, it starts with this. Why do we love God? Because He first loved us. God is the initiator. If you love God, the only reason we love God is because He first loved us. 1 John 19. We love God because He is a great initiator who came and touched our hearts, who came and loved us. But here it is even more. He loved us when we were unlovable. He loved us at our lowest state. Romans 5.8 says this, that God demonstrates His own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us in our most unlovable state. By nature, we're children of wrath. By nature, we're sinful. By nature, we rebel against God. By nature, we run from the God who is. But He loves us. I mean, just, just, just let yourself go and realize if God removed His grace, realize the depravity of your heart. Realize how prone you are to run from God. Realize how prone you are to lust. How prone we are to pride. How prone we are to sin. Let yourself go and let yourself go and realize that that's who we are. Apart from Christ, we're filthy rags. Go there and then hear this. But I love you. I love you. And I'm going to demonstrate that love for you. That while you are pond scum, while you are still sinners, Christ died. God has loved us to death. He's loved the unlovable. He's loved us first. And that's the only reason we can love and he's loved us to death. My grandma used to tell the, the, me and my, other, my brother and sister that she loved us to death. And I knew it to be true. And then she'd say something like she wanted to eat us all up. I don't think she had any cannibalistic qualities as far as I know. But, and I was her favorite for sure. But she did. She loved us to death. And, and, and we sometimes say that to our children or to our spouse. I'm going to love you to the end. I'm going to love you till my heart stops beating. But listen, our triune God has demonstrated that for us. He's demonstrated that He will love us to death. He sent His Son to the point of, of, of being hung on a tree and bleeding for sinners like us. He loved us to death. He's never going to change His mind about us. You know, when we think of the cross and the reality, it's not that we're just forgiven. Listen, it's not that we're just forgiven. It's not that although our sins were like scarlet, we become white as snow. It's not that we just have a blank slate that we start over again. Listen, there's so much more. Listen, we, we have favor with God. It's not like there's neutral, like, you know, you've been two middle school kids brawling all day. At the end of the day, you say, okay, let's stop fighting. And you just agree to have a truce. No, he says, listen, I love you. I cherish you. I'm for you. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm crazy about you. You know, for his children, God likes us. And God loves us. He'll never let us go. Amen that he is for us. He leads with love. Orangewood, he leads with love, and so must we. This weekend, the neo-Nazis were here demonstrating in Orlando, proclaiming hate. Proclaiming that they hate people because of the color of skin or because of what they believe. And you know, it's, it's so embarrassed. And, and yesterday... I went by the Harmon House, and after the Harmon House, I, I went by the Franklins, and they were all out on their porch, a family celebration. They had just opened up uh, Kennedy Boulevard, and they're all celebrating. And 
and, and they called Katie and me out of the car. They said, come on and come join us. And, and they were just so excited about what God was doing in their community. And I pulled Kelvin aside. I said, Kelvin, I know you know me. And I, I, don't, I don't have anyone else to say this to, but can I just apologize to you that there's people marching in this city that they hate you because of your color of skin. I'm sorry. You see, Christians, God has led with love with us. And that is what we need to do with the world. We need to proclaim to the world that our God is a loving God. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And through the eye of faith, we see true beauty. And it's Jesus. This is what God requires. He requires of us these things. Faith and love. And He also is hope. He gives us a living hope. But faith and love. And if you have faith in Him and you love Him, listen, those are a gift from God. What God requires, God supplies. What God requires, God supplies. He requires faith, and He gives it to us. He requires love, and He gives it to us. And if you are here today, and you love Jesus, if you're here today, and you believe in Jesus, listen, it's been a gift given to you. Rejoice, rejoice greatly and say praise to his name because if you have it, he's given it to you. And listen, if you don't and you want it, he's moving in your heart. And this is very important. Anyone who has ever asked, he's never driven away. If God is moving in your heart, say, I don't know if I believe, but help me believe. Help me love, Father, just help me. Listen, he'll hear your prayer because he's moving in your heart. Even that prayer is an indication that God is reigning in your heart. Greatly rejoice, Christian. Greatly rejoice, Listen, it's a sin not to rejoice. Being a Christian Eeyore is not good. It's a sin. You know Winnie the Pooh Eeyore? Sorry. Thought you might chuckle at that a little bit. But uh, thank you. Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, and his disciples were praising his name. And the, the religious people were standing and staring, thinking, That's, these guys, are, guys, what are you doing? Jesus, rebuke your disciples. They're calling you God's son. Rebuke them. And Jesus says, listen, if they stop, the stones will cry out. God has created us and called us and given us the eyes of faith to greatly rejoice in him with joy inexpressible. Can we have any more reason for joy? Listen, we are loved by the Father. The Son has redeemed us and forgiven us of our sins. We have the Holy Spirit inside us. What could give us more reason to have joy? We have joy that is inexpressible. Words cannot articulate it. That's why David Crowder sings, I need words. I haven't found words to describe the joy in my life. I need a song to sing. I haven't found it yet. I need a language that is able to say to God, I love you for loving me. Joy that is inexpressible and lastly, full of glory. We greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible because we are full of glory. Christian, we're not full of sin. Christian, we're not full of guilt. Christian, we're not full of wrath. Christian, we're not full of bondage and brokenness. We're full of God's glory. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Full of grace and truth, we beheld His glory. The glory of the only begotten and through faith for those who love Him. He fills us with His glory. I got an irritating personality trait. I think I just have one. But it's this, is that what I really, really love, I want others to love. And, and recently, a friend of mine came over with his wife and two daughters, and I took him out for a steak dinner at Steak and Shake. And, and we got there. I told him what to order. I mean, listen, when someone who's over 250 pounds tells you what to order, listen, okay? I mean, we know how to eat. 
I told him, what you want to do is you want to get the Frisco melt with bacon. Now, usually the American melt comes with bacon, but the Frisco melt has the sourdough bread. It's even better. And order a side of a Thousand Island dressing, and that's what you really need to order. And do you know what? He ordered his own dinner. He didn't order what I tell him to order. He messed up. So here comes my meal. I'm like, oh, this is really good. This is really good. Try it. Really, you got to try it. Please, just try it. You know, try it. No, no, I really want to try it. Try it! So eventually I cut off a piece of the Frisco melt, sacrificing one of the greatest tasty treats you can have, and put it on his plate, which he eventually ate. And I just sat back waiting, saying, great, wasn't it? It was just, just telling me, wasn't it awesome? I don't like hamburgers. <laughs> See, I'm wildly in love with Jesus by God's grace. I'm wildly in love with him. And what I love, I so want you to love too. We have been given a divine love. I mean, we, he set upon us an incredible love that's opened up our eyes. We've got a love to tell this world. Orangewood, may we fall radically, fully in love with him because he loves us. The goal of our faith is the salvation of our souls, and it's already been accomplished. We don't see clearly, but someday we will see the face of love. We don't love fully, but he fully loves us, and someday we will see the one who fully loves us. Orangewood, your salvation is secure. I want to read to you who you are. And I'm going to read to you out of the first six verses, seven verses that we've already preached through. And this is what God tells us who we are as we close. Your salvation is secure. We are, a chosen, we are chosen aliens heading home. We are born again believers, sanctified by the Spirit, sprinkled with Jesus' blood, with an imperishable inheritance, protected by the power of God, with a faith more precious than gold. Rejoice. Let us pray. Father God, thank You for loving us with a love that it caused us to love You back. Thank You for giving us the eyes of faith to see You for who You are. And Father, we pray. We pray that God, as You have led with love for us, that we would lead with love with others. And if there's anyone here today, God, who doesn't believe in You, And have faith in you. That God, you give them the gift of faith. Give them the gift of love. So that they too can know this joy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.